Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing? Good. And welcome to the wisest hockey fans in the world, Cult of Hockey readers and listeners. Thanks for tuning in. All right, Bruce. Today we're going to be talking about prospects, specifically the order's heavily loaded Rightorium of prospects mm-hmm. um, on the right side. Peter Shelley did not do a whole lot right in the end as Oilers GM, but he did a few things right. Traded for Cam Talbot, Zach Cassian, and uh, he he certainly loaded up the right side of the uh, prospect wing of defense with some good players, because there there really are some good players. And we're going to talk about uh, six of them, and uh, we're going to talk about um, Evan Bouchard, Joel Parson, uh, Mike Castlering, Phil Kemp. Ethan Bear and Philippe Berglund, the Swedish prospect. So, um, what would you say, Bruce? What you you give Charlie credit for this? Absolutely. In fact, last year at the very end of our prospect series, I used that exact word in jest. Uh, welcome to the right orium, because uh, uh, my good friend Low Tide has been talking about the left orium all this time. And, you know, when Peter Shirelli took over the Oilers, there was exactly two defensemen, uh, left-shooting defensemen, that uh, uh, were, uh, sorry, two right-shot defensemen that were in the system. And so he really did build that up. And now we have, in fact, if you look at our at our top 20 prospects, there's more right defensemen, six, than there are at any other position. And in fact, more right defensemen than there are wingers of both sides combined. So uh, we got a few guys to talk about. Uh, some of them near the bottom of the top twenty, other ones near the top. So six, uh, six right shot D in the top twenty, and four left shot D. Yeah, lots of D. Lots of D. Oilers, and that's good. You gotta have lots of D. And uh, you know, Bruce, when, when we go back previous from the twenty fourth before Shirelli came in and started drafting right shot. D. Mm-hmm. And he's brought in about one a year at least. Um, Easily. 2014, the owners didn't draft a right shot demon. They drafted William Logson, left shot demon. 2013, they drafted Ben Betker um, in the sixth round and Darnell Nurse in the first round, both left shot demons. Both. Mm-hmm. 2012, Joy LaLegia and Eric Gustafson. Both lefties. Yeah. And we won't get into our the, the, the pain and ongoing, ongoing pain and suffering we that we endure when we think about Eric Gustafson and how the others let him get away. Uh, 2011, David Musil, Oscar Clefbaum, Dylan Simpson, and, and Martin Gernat. Let me just check Gernat. Do you recall? The other, lefty. Guys are all, the other guys are all lefties, and Martin lefty. Yeah, is a lefty. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Uh, 2010, Martin Marinson. Brandon uh, Davidson. Brandon Davidson, lefty. Jeremy Blaine. He was a righty, but we never saw the guy. Fourth round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know if they did. He. I don't think he got offered a pro contract. No, he never got he signed. Never got signed. Never became a pro player. 2019, 20, 2009, 2009 draft. Got that right finally. Kyle Bigos and Troy Hesketh. Uh, at least one of them was righties. I mean, we never saw those guys. I mean, they might as well have been ambidextrous for all the good they were. 
Or they might as well have been double amputees for all the good they were, you know. Troy Haskett was such he was taken in the third round with such a non-entity, they don't even list whether he's a left or a right shot. Enough said. Uh, hockey DB. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Bigos shot right. But mm-hmm. he never earned a pro contract either. Um, 2008 draft. Johan Moten, left shot. Jordan Benfeld. Um, Johan Moten did get a pro contract, did he not? Yeah, he did. He, wasn't he at least one year over in OKC or wherever they were playing? Played one game with the Oilers, and he was a right shot, Johan Moten, Bruce. Yeah, one, one game, yeah. That was good. Alex Plant, left well, there shot. There you go, first-round pick on a right D. So oh, was he a right D? There's a right uh, heart, heart in the right place there. He was a yep. right shot. Yeah, yeah, him and Colton Tubert were both righties. They traded for Tubert. For yep. some reason, that's not apparent to anybody who's a Oilers observer in twenty. Well, not in retrospect. Not in retrospect. Uh, anyway, he was kind of the Griffin Reinhardt of that that era. Although um, I think they also got the first round draft pick that led to Oscar Kleffbaum and that trade for Dustin. Yes. Bader. So we have to go back to the the last time they really seriously invested was two thousand and seven with Plot. Uh-huh. In a right shot, and that didn't work out. And then Jeff Petrie, they was the last time they actually drafted one who worked out the 2006 entry draft. Bruce, yeah. that is 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Was the last time they drafted a useful right shot D man. So we got six of them, and I bet you they were all picked in the last few years, except well, except for Joel Pearson, who was. Right, uh, and I bet you at least two of these guys are going to be solid NHLers, like two out of the six, and maybe as many as three. That sound okay, you? Yeah. That, is that too bullish? Might be too uh, bullish. Yeah. Yeah, getting two out of six would be... Oh, two out of six. Mean, you need to stack up prospects, but they also, they desperately need some of these guys to work out. And you know uh, that some of them are going to get chances because, you know, that's where the space is on the depth chart right now is for a, for a new right defenseman. And I think we'll see three out of... Well, we've already mm-hmm. seen play order games and, and Evan Bouchard. We've already seen two in the NHL. Yep, and we're going to probably see Joel Pearson this year. So Yeah, he will probably but make the Whether there's three sort of impactful NHLers is a much more open question. Okay, Philip Berglund, Bruce. Let's mm-hmm. start with him. And I'm starting to dig, dig into him because I'm writing about him in this prospect. Series. Right. And he, he is a six foot three, 206 pound right shot demon uh, from uh, Sweden. He plays for Skelleftia in Sweden, the same team as uh, Oilers' first round draft pick uh, uh, Philip Broberg has been has signed with. Is yeah. it Have I got is it Philip Berglund oh. and Philip Broberg? Yeah, Philip and Philip. Phil and Phil show. I might have been imagining, but they spell their names different. Um, one's a Philip with an F, and one isn't. So um, he was drafted in the third round, ninety first overall in twenty sixteen. Bruce, he in terms of our prospect series. Let me just go here, and I'll tell you how he's been rated. In, I'm not going to tell you how he's rated this year. Okay. Well, I, I, I think I can with this one. We're not going to give anything away because I'm going to be writing about him um, in the next uh, day here. He's ranked 20th. Um, mm-hmm. So he's the lowest ranked of the five guys. So he's been ranked. Last year, he was at 12. The year before that, at 15. The year before that, at 14. And I think that spoke to a couple things. The, the lack, his, his early ranking, high rankings early on, was because he was playing okay, uh, but also because there were so few right shot demon he he shot, and also because 
the Oilers had so few good prospects. Right. And the main reason people are dropping in the yes. list this year isn't they're get they're getting worse because Ber- Berglund isn't getting any worse. He went sideways this year. It's because mm-hmm. there's a lot more good prospects that the Oilers have. So in terms of his play this year, and and, and the the other aspect, David, is there's more good prospects, and there's nobody graduating up off of the list. Yes. So I the guy, guys that were pros, uh, prospects before are all still on the list. Plus, mm-hmm. you have a bunch of new prospects. So the, the prospect pool is deeper, but you're not creating uh, spaces near the top of the list because none of the guys that were in our top prospects last year, I mean, they're all still on the list. And it, and it does my heart well to hear you say that, Bruce. I just felt mm-hmm. a little rush of uh, dopamine hit there, a little bit of joy in my life when I heard you say that because – Finally, we're getting it right. Finally, the orders are getting well, it right. The last, the top ten from last year's list. I'm just looking at it now. The top ten of last year's list are all still on the list. So I didn't get Fantastic. rid of the prospects, and they didn't promote the prospects. They're just all still prospects. So that we got to get some churn in there to use a Peter Shirelli. You need churn, word. and some of that churn has to involve guys actually coming out the top of the water wheel and actually working their way up to the to the next level. So Berglund isn't coming over this year. He's playing in Shkaleftia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Obviously, I'm mm-hmm. not. He's playing in <laughs> yeah, next year. <laughs> and um, so last year, he was kind of in the second pairing. He's, mm-hmm. So he's worked his way up. Uh, from In, in 2016-17, he played 47 games. And he was on the – I think they go with 7D on that team. And he played 9 yes. minutes and 30 seconds a game. How, and, I'm sorry, how many? Nine minutes, nine minutes and thirty seconds a game. That's nine a, minutes a game. Nine minutes. That yeah. doesn't sound right. It's that's that's what this that's what he played in 2016-17. He oh, I'm sorry. Games. Then okay, sorry. He I thought you were talking about nine minutes. Okay, then in 2017-18, la- so the year before last, he played 17 minutes a game, and 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 that was a huge improvement and pretty exciting for him as a prospect. I think we were more bullish on him last year as a prospect, Bruce, because of that. Because we. I've never seen Philip Bergman play that I can remember. And um, have you? Are you there? Um, are you there? Yeah. Have you ever seen Philip Bergman play? I've never. I can't remember ever seeing him play. You know, I don't. He may have come over to one of the early camps, but I think it might have been one of the Jasper camps. So I honestly can't. I don't think summon a memory of the guy. No, he's been playing in the Swedish league and they start or well, I guess he could have. No, I'm talking about the development camp. Yeah. Uh, he's never okay. been in a training camp. None of the Swedes ever come over to the development camp because their, so their league is starting by then. So in, his, in the last three years, his time on ice has gone from 9.30 a game to 7.03 a game. And then last year he got up to 19.02 a game. Well, that's actually another two minute bump yeah. from the year before, but his, his counting numbers didn't budge really. Like they just stayed flat. He, he's just, he's not putting up any kind of, considerable points mm-hmm. um and and at some point you think when is he is he gonna come over like i guess i guess they can you know with with so many other players ahead of him mm-hmm. in bakersfield like with bear and bouchard there it, it, mm-hmm. and Harrison coming over it really didn't make sense for him to come this year bruce but right he's got to come next year i think if he's going to be in well they player. have to sign him by 2020 uh june 1st next june 1st oh they do Oh, yeah, because he's a Swede, uh, they draft him as an 18-year-old Swede. They have four years to sign him, but that fourth year is going to be up, and he spent the entire time in Shaleftia. Yeah, i got to go let my cat in now, so I'll be back in a sec. You, you, 
Why don't you wax okay. poetic about this player if you have any? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to wax poetic about him playing <clears throat> in Sheleftia, uh with potentially with Philip Broberg as a partner, certainly as a teammate. Uh, and the fact that he is, uh, you know, big, smooth skating, from what I've heard, uh, right shot Swedish defenseman. I mean, what's not to like? The Oilers have no fewer than six Swedish defensemen in their system at the moment. And Bergman is probably the sixth ranked of those six. But even he's, he's not a terrible prospect, but, you know, he's just on the, on the cusp of being a player of interest. But it is time. For, for him to make a move, right? physically make the move to sign and come to North America, assuming the Oilers want him to sign, which I think will depend on him having a better year this year. If we see his ice time make, take another tick up and see a little bit of movement in his, uh, uh, in his offensive totals, which have persistently been in the 10 to 13 point range for three years running now, it'd be nice to see him bump that up to 18 or 20 points if at least. I mean, he's, I don't think he's a big offensive star. Here, in, here's in, his problem, Bruce. Mm-hmm. He's behind two guys, Jonathan yeah. Kudas and, and ML Jews. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know if I'm even anywhere yeah. close to pronouncing their names right. But they're both playing 20 minutes a game and they're both on the power play and right. they're both in their mid-20s. So he's been yeah. stuck behind those guys for two, um, two years. Uh, and his, his other problem is that he's behind the five other right shot D that we're about to talk about in the Oilers system. Like yeah, how, so how does he cl- clamber up that list? Bit of a long shot to make it in North America at this point. All right, let's let's move along, and uh, next we'll talk about uh, Michael Kesslerin, our our favorite. Yeah, we both liked him. Uh, I've liked him two years in a row at, uh, at the development camp. And more to the point, I liked him more this year. Like I saw a significant progress from last year to this year. And an absolutely gargantuan player. Well, honestly, physically, he reminds me of Colton Pareko. Like he's that big size scale of a guy, six foot five and growing. Apparently, he put on two inches and 20 pounds between the two camps. Not so, Jill Lupien? He, he was big. Well, he might be Jill Lupien, too. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm always hoping for a Colton Pareko. It's our turn to get one of those guys, isn't it? And what I, what I can't really tell you is his hockey sense in a game situation. Is he a guy that can keep the play in front of him, that doesn't get beat wide, you know, that doesn't have um, – uh, some of the contain issues that you concerned about. What I can tell you, he's got a lot of talent. He's a huge guy. He can skate. He can handle the puck. He's aggressive to the puck. And uh, uh, in the admittedly um, uh, cramped quarters of the three-on-three half zone Billy Morris Cup that you and I saw, um, he was uh, he was no shrinking violet. It wasn't like he was just standing around playing his position. He was jumping on pucks and driving the play and looking pretty good. Like like he, he seemed skate. He seemed to understand the rules better than the other players. Like he was the one taking advantage of it. Like he had mm-hmm. to take the puck out past the blue line before an advancing in. And so when the other team was kind of sleeping in the transition, he was the one guy who was constantly forcing it and rushing in there and, and making plays. So you have to love that kind of gamesmanship and smarts. Like these are all highly competitive mm-hmm. young men 
trying to make a mark. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who figured that out better than anyone else, how to how to exploit the rules of that particular game. So good for him. Now he's listed at six four, Bruce, in by hockey DB. Yeah. How old do you think he is? Uh he's listed as six four by Elite. He was listed as six five by the Oilers. And they discussed it specifically with the player in one of the interviews and he said he was six five. And I've seen other ones where he was six three, six two, like he's growing like a weed. I mean he's still only nineteen years old. So who knows when he's done, but I'd say six five is enough. Maybe he needs to get a little thicker. But uh, here's an interesting, from his stats last year in the USHL, he got traded midseason. He played exactly 33 games with each of two teams. So he got a splits. Uh, with Des Moines Buccaneers, he got two goals and 10 assists. And with Fargo Force, he got seven goals and 15 assists. So he really picked up the pace after after the trade. And, and he was, I mean, he was with Des Moines last year, so he clearly got moved from Des Moines to Fargo. And he had huge development year to year. Like he just was barely yes. in the USHL. He got two points yeah. in twelve games that yes. first year. Last year he got thirty-four points in sixty-six games. That's yeah. that's the kind of improvement that you like to see. No, I'm really who knows? Who knows what right. this, but I'm 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 kind of bullish on the guy because he, mm-hmm. I was I was astonished at his level of skill, honestly, mm-hmm. for someone that big. Mm-hmm. And drafted that low. He was drafted in the sixth round, 164th yeah. overall. Um, he just looks like he could be a player. Like, and, and I and I wrote at the time, tweeted at the time, like if you went to that three-on-three game and someone said, yeah, look at that big guy out there dominating the game. He was their first pick um, last year. It, you wouldn't have said, oh, that's crazy. You yeah, no, that's right. That's right. I, I mean, said, yeah, that was, that was, some people said, well, his skating's not quite there and his reading of the game, and, th- and that's fair enough. Well, we don't know about the reading. Uh, the skating... It's one of those things where he's such a big guy that uh, uh, he covers a lot of ice. Like, I didn't notice him losing any races. No. And I saw him winning some. And, I mean, it wasn't that he was taking a million strides, like, uh, you know, like Drake Kajula or something. You know, he was big and forceful and long strides and getting from A to B. And to my admittedly untrained eye about skating, uh, I have watched a lot of hockey. and I watch races, and he wasn't losing any. He's going to a, a college this year? Northeastern University, NC2A, and beginning a four-year program up to four years. So he's a long-term project, but you know what? He's got the time. The orders don't have to think about signing this guy until at least three years from now. And unless he really excels, in which case they could accelerate the pro- process. Do you like him better than uh, the next player we're going to talk about, Phil Kemp? Now, Phil Kemp is 6'3", 200 pounds. He was drafted uh, 208th overall in 2017. And mm-hmm. he's having a pretty uh, distinguished career as a defensive defenseman at Yale. Um, Yale you know, he's playing regularly. He, mm-hmm. uh, he made the uh, under-20 team for the United States this mm-hmm. past year at the World Junior Tournament, which is a, that's a damn good team. I mean, that's like making – at this point, they're as good as Team Canada, generally speaking. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's like make, being good enough to make Team Canada. So that's something. Basically. So I, there's so much. There's a lot to like about this player too. He's really rugged. He's smart mm-hmm. with the puck. I, I I like. I have to say, I, personally, I like Kessel Ring just a little bit better now as a, right now as a prospect. And I know it's probably a very minority opinion, and it's just based on well, they're limited. I mean, they're both late, late picks. Kessel Ring's bigger, and he seems a little bit more mobile, maybe. Mm-hmm. So. 
those that those are the only reasons. And yeah, I like I like Kemp's. I like the competitiveness he showed in camp. I like the composure that he showed in camp. Like, um, and again, I'm talking about development camp. Of course, we won't see any of these guys in uh, rookie camp because that's considered pro hockey and NC2A. If there's any money in NC2A, it's to be made by the people running the teams, not the actual guys <laughs> putting on the show. Don't get me started on that topic. But uh, he so. We won't. We get the one chance a year to view those guys, where these development camps are considered amateur enough that they can actually come and rub shoulders with the uh, guys on different tracks. Uh, he's gone through the U.S. national development team, but he spent a couple of years on what they call Team C, meaning that maybe he wasn't elite of the elite. But you know what? He was an assistant captain on their U18 team. Uh, three years ago, and then of course he made the team, the, U, uh, the U20 team last year. And I made a couple of highlight reels with some great defensive stops. I uh, made a memorable goal line save. That was a really bailed Americans out in one game. Uh, but now he's already played two years in Yale. And both years, three goals, five assists, eight points. So running in place that, that way. And his plus minus fell off this last year. But that's probably team related. Uh, so... Lots to like in the in the package, and, and a fair amount of pedigree for a seventh round draft choice. So certainly a player of interest. But again, draft and follow. But in his case, he's only got two more years before he graduates college. So his uh, his future will be known a little quicker. The tough thing with these guys who go to these really highfalutin schools is that um, you know they're probably wanting to stay four years, mm-hmm. and uh, after that, they're free agents. Yeah, so you, you, may or, you know, you, you can invest all these camps and all this. Well, you're not yeah, that's what we saw with that John. much, but we're seeing that with Marino, right? John, John Marino, Marino, another right shot D drafted by Trelli. And some people still consider him an NHL prospect, but it wasn't going to be here because he was on the same list with all the same guys ahead of him. So yeah. they traded him rather than lose him for nothing. So I doubt he signs next year. Mm-hmm. Um, he could sign after his fourth year. I mean, there's a possibility he might decide that he wants to join the order's organization or he's had nothing but good experiences here. But it, this is this is the issue with uh, these guys is that, um, especially if they hit when they're relatively young, like, well, Kemp was not young when he went there. But anyway, they, they could easily lose him as a free agent is my point, and, and mm-hmm. that, that may well develop. Any other thoughts on Kemp or should we move on to the next player, Bruce? Oh, just to... Drafting college player of interest from a distance. Uh, I, I see him as a guy with an outside chance, but probably a limited upside of third pairing. Yeah. Maybe that's where if I was to rank Kesselring a little higher, it's because I'm not sure that he might not be a little, you know, have top four potential at this point. And I mean, it's way, way off in the future, but but uh, maybe his upside is a little higher. They're both kind of in the Matt Green category of mm-hmm. hockey player. And, I really like Matt Green, of course. He was mm-hmm. a fantastic third line. Uh, third pairing D man, but uh, a solid one. Yeah. And uh, didn't he play U.S. college hockey, Matt Green? He did indeed. He was Three a second round. He was a second Florida. round draft book choice. Very on the sixth or seventh. Very similar statistics in collegiate hockey, except he had way more penalties than either of these guys, being, being Matt Green, that he was. All right, you'll. Harrison Bruce. Mm. Do you think right now there's uh, and by the time this podcast 
we're going to, this podcast will air throughout August when we run um, profiles of these different players. So by then this will be decided, but right now, Kevin Shattenkirk's a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, like in terms of bringing in a, a right shot demon who can play on your third pair? I, I don't think Shattenkirk's going to come here, but it, you know, he, he, the competition would be Joel Pearson. Um, for that spot yeah. in a way, if you're looking for a similar kind of player, a mm-hmm. smaller offensive defenseman. Um, yeah, what do you think of- obviously, if they could afford Schottenkirk, who may be getting bought out by the Rangers. He did uh, get bought out. He, he did? Yeah. Oh, okay. I heard he, he was I heard he was on the short list. Uh, anyway. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was bought out too. Anyway, he's uh, – uh, I've never had a high opinion of Schottenkirk. I didn't when he was in St. Louis. I always thought he had a higher opinion of himself than he warranted, uh, talking about where he wanted to play and so on. And I guess some of that's just uh, uh, the player wanting to take charge of his own career, but he always wanted to go to New York. And then he went to New York, and essentially he's failed in New York. And So maybe he comes back with his tail between his legs. But what I heard was he filed a 10-team no-trade list, and all seven Canadian teams were on it. So I highly doubt with all the NHL options that are out there, that he would suddenly decide, oh, maybe it's Edmonton that I wanted to play in all along. I agree, and and he'll likely get more money. I think he probably. My bet is he gets like two years at about two and a half million. Or find a place with a tax haven, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sold that he's a committed to playing hockey. Honestly, I mean that that's that's maybe not fair because I don't know the player that well, but I've not got the sense of a guy that's. You know. He is an elite point scorer, and even last year, Bruce yeah, well, he was a very high point scorer. Oilers could, Oilers could use that, and I'll give you that. Joel Pearson, our yeah. man Joel Pearson, that's what he might be, but at this point, he's a total, total wild card. Um, you know what I like about him, Bruce? Uh-huh. He he in his he had this huge breakthrough year, I think, at like age 23 or 24. Yes, 23, yeah. 27, 18. Huge breakthrough year at, at Vax Joe, which I know I'm not pronouncing correctly. <laughs> Good luck with that. games, 34 points. And I guess in different parts of Sweden, they pronounce these names differently even. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm adopting these, the Southern Swedish pronunciation. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, 51 games, 34 points as in 2017-18. And the, the major, there was a major concern though, Bruce. Well, A, he had never done it before. He's, a, he's an older rookie. He, he played on the same power play as Elias Peterson. Right. And I was wondering how much of that was related to this. But with Peterson gone, he just kept – he had similar production this year, almost the same. 50 uh, games, 31 yeah. points. That was pretty in past year. Uh, on loan from the Oilers, because, of course, the Oilers signed him as a free agent at the end of the 2017-18 season. And he's got such an interesting history – uh, like you look down his list here, Division Two, II, Division Two, II, Division One, II, Division Two, II, Division One. He played uh, all the way uh, from 2012 to 2017, five full years in the Swedish Div One or Div Two, what they now call the Allsvenskan, and even the league below that. And then he, he played his first Swedish Hockey League game at age 23. Well, this isn't the NHL, it's the SHL, age 23, and now he's played 101 games at the top level with, with 65 points, right, defenseman. And altogether, he played 121 games in Div 1, 77 games in Div 2, basically 300 games 
almost equally divided among the three levels of Swedish hockey. Uh, but what he did on all three levels was score. And he's clearly a, a power play guy, but he's also clearly a, a, you know, a puck mover and a playmaker. He's got a wicked shot. I have seen highlights of him scoring a few goals, and I've seen him you know, take the water bottle off from 55 feet, you know, and, and uh, good bomb from the right shot, bomb from the uh, point. So if there's a niche for him on the Oilers, that might be it. Because it's not like they have, uh, you know, Oscar Clefbaum, Darnell Nurse, and Andrew Secker is gone now. To me, fairly mediocre point men. They're good defensemen, but when you're talking about power play, there's nothing special. They're They're right at the bottom of, like in terms of like first unit guys in the NHL, like Nurse and Clefbaum. Would be right near the bottom, as far as I'm concerned. They so they don't he, generate much in in the way of clever passes or right. fantastic shots on net. Now, right. You know, and it doesn't look like Evan Bouchard, who has that skill, will be making the orders this year. So right, and that's the great thing about actually having Yoel Pearson, because mm-hmm. they have him. They don't have to rush Bouchard. They, right. they have this guy. If they want someone to come in and run their power play, this guy might be the guy. Yeah. Well, he's at minimum likely to be a placeholder. Uh, for Evan Bouchard for the first part of the season, at minimum, and unless he's like an epic fail and just crashes right out, can't handle you know NHL forwards, uh, and we don't know about that. But we've seen lots of Swedish defensemen come over and succeed in this league, and uh, you know, like I say, he's got many years of of that level of experience. It's a huge jump for him. Maybe he's going to spend a little bit of time in uh, uh, in Bakersfield, but uh, I I anticipate him at least being on the roster. Maybe the seventh defenseman at first, and maybe a little higher than that. Uh, honestly, don't know what his ceiling is, but that's the exciting part, right? We really don't know if he's if he's you know maybe he's Brian Rafalski, and we just don't know it yet. But in all likelihood, I see. Yeah, he's more likely Philip Larson, right? Yes, he's more likely Philip Larson. Right. So we, we get some good reports from Mike Zanier, who's over yes. there, uh, former Oilers goalie, who's in that uh, neck of the woods and uh, works on the broadcast, I believe, and gives consistently positive reports. He yes, said he does. his game really grew this year as a defensive mm-hmm. player, defensive player. So that's just it was really good to hear. So I, I think um, you know there's a chance he'll be on the third pairing with. Um, Maybe Chris Russell is his partner. That would probably be, or Caleb Jones is his partner. And that would, the exciting thing to me, Bruce, is that both Parson and Jones, like in terms of like bottom end defense, but finally we have some guys who can move the puck. Like we're not going to have Manning out there, Kevin Gravel or Petrovic. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, and Benning had his struggles too, like quite honestly for much. Uh, well, we will be on. seeing Benning, I'm pretty we sure. We will be seeing Benning, but he may, you know, He's shown in the past he can move the puck. He just regressed at the start of last year severely and then came on as the year went on. He, he can't have that, uh, Matt Benning, or he won't have an NHL job next year. Caleb Jones is a player. He's as good as Matt Benning, I think, right now. And um, we'll see if Pearson is or not. Bruce, next on our list is Ethan Bear. What say you? Ethan Bear. Well... For all the promise that we saw from him, uh, and, you know, he's a, de- he's a defenseman who grew after the Oilers drafted him. He was already a two-year junior when they drafted him. And by his fourth year in junior, uh, he 
got to the point where he dominated the WHL. He was the defenseman of the year. He played uh, center point on the champion team, Seattle Thunderbirds, uh, him and Matt Barzel, or should I say Matt Barzel and him, uh, were uh, part of a dynamite power play in, in Seattle. Uh, and, he, you know, he put up big offensive numbers. Then in his very first year of pro, he played 37 games in Bakersfield and 18 in Edmonton, like as a, as a 20-year-old. And he had some real defensive issues, but with the puck on his stick or shooting the puck from the point, you know, he was a puck mover. But his case is the same fear I just said with Joel Parrison, you know, without the puck, he was uh, taken advantage of. Now, that was as a first-year pro. Of course, the idea is he's going to keep improving in the pros the same way he did in juniors. Uh, But his second year was a real setback in that he struggled with injuries. Uh, throughout uh, 2018-19, uh, played 52 of the 68 games, and he played eight eight of the playoff games, uh, struggling with uh, injuries throughout or a persistent one. And his scoring totals were pretty good. You know, he got 31 points. Uh, he was a big plus player. Uh, so when he played, he was he was certainly decent. Uh, but there was never at any point last year the idea that. He was going to be next to be called up and playing with Edmonton. But it just seemed like he was running in place a little bit. Yeah, he went sideways. And mm-hmm. um, I like them uh, more this year than, than I have in the past. I think his skating has improved. And I would note that after the season ended, Bruce, if I recall correctly, he talked about the need for him just to totally uh, raise his game in terms of off-season fitness. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's come to that re- realization. And this will happen with a young player. He's just got to get after it in a way he has never done before. And he's right. This is a crucial year for him. He's, Mm -hmm. you know, Bouchard's coming on, you know, he's the, the golden boy. Um, And there, there's the old person. There's all these other, there's, you know, there's guys nipping at everybody's heels. eh? There sure is a ton of competition and he is a, he's going to be a dominant. He should be a dominant AHL player this year. And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of defensemen take three years in the AHL. Mm-hmm. before they're ready for the NHL. And I think that's what we're going to see with Barry. He's going to be in the NHL yeah. this year. He could, in, But in, in theory, he could beat out Person for that seventh D-man role um, mm-hmm. on the owners. And he could be the guy who gets the, the chance of running the owners' power play this year if he really comes into camp um, with a different level of fitness, perhaps. And, uh, you know, in his first year, two years of pro, he's played 53 games his first year and 52 his uh, second year. So I, I don't know if he missed much with injury in the first year, if that was kind of. I think he, he, did miss some, he did miss some time. Uh, he missed a few weeks in, at one stretch, I think, in, in 17, 18. Now, the big issue with all these guys, of course, is that they're all coming, they're all bubbling under at the same time. All three of uh, Caleb Jones, Easton Bear, William Lagason have one year left on their entry-level contract. I mean, this year they can be moved freely between the minors and the NHL. Same with Joel Pearson. He signed a one-year entry-level contract. I think I, I think he's free to move around for one year without having to clear waivers as well. And then next year, there's just not going to be room for them all. So this year is going to be a real battle for not just 
ice time this year, but for future positioning. And one or more of these guys is going to wind up getting traded just because there's no room for them all. And the owners are not going to want to risk losing them on waivers because they are good prospects. So this is going to be the position of strength ideal come. I won't be personally surprised to see Ethan Bear get traded. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we'll probably see two out of four of these guys in the Oilers in the Oilers organization next year, Bruce. This is yeah. this this is a this is again, the Oilers needed to move out one of their veteran demon this year so they could have that churn we talked about earlier, where one of these guys, would, yes. one or two of these guys, would get a chance in the top six. Mm-hmm. Absolutely crucial, and they needed to do it, and they made the call of Sekera for buyout reasons and probably injury and age reasons with Sekera. Right. Although I was a, I'm a big fan of Sekera, and I didn't like oh, the yeah. buyout. I, I do get it. I am too, but I understand couldn't, probably couldn't move Russell in a trade because short short list of people and the, the buyout potential with Russell was much, was less. There's less mm-hmm. benefit, and Russell's a good Chris Russell's a good hockey player and a durable. He's uh, more so durable than Sekera has turned out. Yeah, and uh, Benning is young, and maybe you know Matt Benning could still. He showed so much promise at one point in the 2017 playoffs. Maybe we're going to finally see that player consistently this year. So it, it's a huge competition, and and also Adam Larson. He's got two years left on his deal. Mm-hmm. So you know we might not see. We might actually see three of these guys stick around and then move out. Um, one of the veterans. Matt Benning's got one year left, also, so he's yeah, so- fighting for his life. That's right. They all and and Larson is too, and you know um, any of these defensemen. None of them are so good that they can't be traded on the Oilers. Um, you oh. know, I'm a big Darnell Nurse fan, and I I'd like to see mm-hmm. him stick. And I like Oscar Kleffbaum, and I like Larson. But none of those guys are are like have absolutely made the claim like you can't move them. So it's going to be some really great competition this year, and and I'm excited about it because actually I think there will be for the first time real competition with skilled young players moving in instead of having to bring in a bunch of has-beens or never-wers to fill the gaps on defense. And and unlike the forward position where you can say a lot of the depth has been specifically brought in by Ken Holland uh, since he got hired, I think you have to give Shirelli credit for building the depth of the defense group. He's done not a good enough job, obviously, with the top of the unit. But in terms of these layers of depth defenders, that's mostly Peter Shirelli's work. And this could reverberate through the organization for the next four or five years. They could be well stocked with really good prospects. And we'll we'll talk about the last of them now, Evan Bouchard on the okay. right side. Bruce, um, I was hoping like he came up and he played eight games in the playoffs for Bakersfield. He got really limited ice time. Really limited. He really, he put up eight points. I was a little I was honestly a little it's disappointed. Staggering. That he got eight points in the amount of time he played. He must have averaged about five points per sixty. I was disappointed. I thought that uh, the coach might have played him more, although I understand it's like the team's set, right? Like they've been mm-hmm. playing all year and and um, they got their guys. But uh, anyway. Did he even play 10 minutes a night? I know there was a few games where he played like three or four minutes, a couple of power play yeah. shifts. I wasn't happy with it. Uh, I, liked the, I liked it almost everything Jay Woodcroft did last year with that team. I didn't like that. Um and I could understand bringing him in the first game and playing a minimal time, but he started to play pretty well. It's not like he played poorly when he got in. He played well. Oh. And um, I would have liked to see him play about 20, you know, 18 minutes, 20 minutes a game in those games, but that didn't happen. Nonetheless, when he did play, he looked pretty good. He yeah. also looked like he, he, to me, he also did look, though, like he needs time in the AHL. Just in terms of um, defensive focus, intensity, quickness, 
just getting on those guys in the defensive zone. He's going to have to get a little faster and a little smarter and better. And just, you know, the offenses are the, the passing. And, and of course that shot, Bruce, man, that shot, yeah. that's there, but the defense yeah. needs work. That's an elite shot. And he's a guy, he, he too was one that uh, I seem to recall one where he took the water bottle right off the top of the net. I've always loved that shot where the guy could, from distance hit the very top netting and, and launch the, the water bottle. Uh, and, and it was no accident. Like he does have a hard, accurate, quick release and the gift it seems to get it through traffic. And that seems to be real because uh, last year we saw him play at several levels of hockey. We saw him play in the NHL to start the season. We saw him with London Knights uh, a little bit. We saw him. Um, we saw him play with Canada in the World Junior Championships. And then, of course, we saw him with Bakersfield in the playoffs. And he scored everywhere but Edmonton. Edmonton, he got one goal and no assists in a you know limited role. And uh, he, uh, he showed off that big shot for the one goal, power play goal he scored in his last game here in Edmonton. And otherwise, um, uh, it was all about the potential. And... They probably made the right decision, don't you say, in sending him down when they did? If not, maybe they should have done it even earlier. Yeah, they did. But, I mean, they was fine. The, 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 he, he got a, most of his season in, in junior, which is fine. But, you know, when Clefbaum, especially Clefbaum, got hurt and Russell at the same time, I bet there might have been some in the owners' organization wishing that Bouchard was still around because they were really shy on puck movers at that time. Oh, it would have helped, wouldn't it? You know, it yeah. would have helped. I mean, so He could have played third pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a problem with junior. You send him back to junior. You can, you know, if you send him down to the AHL, then you can bring him back up if you need him. But this was not the year the orders could have done that with Evan Bouchard. But he yeah. sure, yeah, he sure scored. I mean, he got 21 points in 11 playoff games in London. Now there, he was playing ton ice time. It wasn't like he was getting short shift there. Then he went right into Bakersfield and he kept on scoring despite the very limited. I mean, eight points in eight games. I mean, that would be good if he was playing full-time. Okay, Bruce, what are your worries about him as a player? Like, if, let's, <sighs> say, it's, let's say it's five years from now and Evan Bouchard didn't pan out. Why mm-hmm. Why did that happen? Oh, the old John Willis question. Yeah. Well, uh, that's actually, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he turned, well, yeah, I think you guys got it from a book somewhere, didn't you? Anyway, uh, the one, what what went wrong? What, what Usually it's what went right. You're 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 planning yeah, you're the, planning to trade Bouchard, and you're saying, okay, what if we're wrong? Any pre- five years from now, he turns out well. What went right? But this is what went wrong because we're all the expecting pre, him to the turn pre-mortem. Out. The pre-mortem. Yeah. What happened? What's going to happen to Evan Bouchard? Don't say injury because that applies to every oh. player. But what yeah, no. Uh, it, uh, coverage, uh, defensive coverage, um, just. It's a, Christmas in zone coverage, footwork. Uh, he's got some some work to do in that department. The concern is that uh, his nonchalance, uh, which looks a lot like confidence with the puck, looks a lot like Justin Schultz without the puck. And that has got a, you know. Uh, he's a very is, similar player to Justin Schultz, but with a better shot. Is and, what yeah, I think. and way younger. I mean, Justin Schultz was 22 before we ever saw the guy, right? Yeah. And, so Evan Bouchard is kind of that player, but at age 19, with some of the same uh, 
And people say he's a lousy skater, but you know what? He's another guy. I don't ever see losing races. Like he, he really reads the play well. And he passes the puck and then he jumps into the rush. Or he carries the puck and he jumps into the rush. And he finds the open ice so that when he does get in there, there's it's not like there are guys picking him off and 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 uh pushing him off to the wings. He finds where the gaps are and he jumps in as a as a legitimate option on the attack, the fourth man on the attack. And uh, that is a real strength of his game. The only thing I could see going wrong is if he was rushed, not only to the Oilers, but into a top pairing on the Oilers. If he's rushed into there and he is in over his head, the same thing that happened to Justin Schultz could, yeah. could happen to him. So that's what could go wrong. If you rush him in, not just not to the NHL necessarily, because I think if Justin Schultz had been in the NHL as a third pairing guy, it would have been fine and a yeah. power play specialist. If you rush him to the NHL and you put him in a top pairing too soon, um, his confidence could get destroyed and the fans could turn him against him and a toxic environment could can ensue just like we saw with Justin Schultz. I don't think that's going to happen because, there, again, there's Joel Pearson ahead of him. There's there's uh, Ethan Bear. There's mm-hmm. so many players right now um, ahead of him that he's likely to break in and play a year or two on the third pairing when he first comes up and then gradually move up the lineup as, as he merits. Unless so, he really does hit it out of the park. Yes. But... It's not like Justin Schultz comes in and he's immediately in the top four because you got Jeff Petrie and no one else, right? It's yeah. they got they they do have options. I mean, the issue I suppose in Edmonton is they got Adam Larson and a bunch of third pairing guys. So the best of the third pairing guys is probably going to get second pairing ice time, and that could be Bouchard, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. Could be Caleb Jones on the second pairing on the right mm-hmm. side eventually. I mean, Jones played right side in mm-hmm. Bakersfield. Um, all of last year, and he excelled. So um, we'll see. It could be Benning. Benning could could pick up his game. It could be Joel Pearson. Like there's again, there's so many options ahead of Bouchard uh, uh, in terms of age and experience. And uh, he's got the most talent, offensive talent for sure, of any of them. But uh, so I, I'm, you, you know, when you look at it, it's there's cause to be a little bit more optimistic than in retrospectively there was with Schultz. You can see where it was going to go wrong with Schultz that he was just rushed in there as usual and thrown in over his head. And he's become a very good hockey player in Pittsburgh when he's not injured and um, didn't happen in Edmonton because of that, that situation. But uh, uh, the one difference between Bouchard and Schultz though is significant, Bruce. Bouchard has a much better shot. And that makes him a much better if for all of Justin Schultz's like other problems, if he had had a great power play shot mm-hmm. and could, could have scored regularly on the power play, he'd still be with the Oilers that none of that would have happened. I don't think, cause he would have been forgiven for a lot of sins. If he was scoring 15 to 20 goals a year on the power play, that's the potential that Evan Bouchard has at the NHL level. Uh, I'm not sure I'll say 15 to 20 on the power play, but enough on overall, the power play that he threatens to get 15 to 20 overall Correct, yeah. 20, 20 being a, a high bar, but 15, I don't think that's out of the question at all. He becomes a 15 goal scorer in the NHL. Yeah. I think oh, which is so. great for a D man. Yeah. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there. All right. Thanks for talking. Yeah. Thanks for listening everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast. Thank <laughs> you.